And then we made this decision that we would never ask money from the viewers online. That was a big deal because in the, in the 90s, there was all these television ministries and they spent all their time asking their viewers for money so that they could stay on air and ask them for more money. <laughs> that was a bit cynical, wasn't it? Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Stay tuned to this week's thought-provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. So today my message is entitled A Blast from the Past, and what we're going to be doing is talking about this journey of 35 years. Imagine that, 35 years of Church of the Rock. And one of the questions I get asked almost all the time, and it's a long answer, is this, how did the church begin? And there's no quick way to tell that story, and so I'm going to take it and tell the story today. So I've got these seven lessons that I'm going to give you that we've learned through the history of this church. And as I'm telling these lessons, you're going to also hear the story of our journey into being as a church. So the first lesson is this. Lesson number one, take a licking, keep on ticking. How many of you know where that comes from? Timex watches. How many of you have ever owned a Timex watch? Anybody in the room? Quite a few people have owned it. Timex invented that phrase. It was actually back in the 50s. They had this watch, and uh, they used to punish the watch, and their slogan was, takes a licking, keeps on ticking. And I've told you this many times, that one of the things about Christianity is that we need to be willing to take a licking and keep on ticking. Jesus didn't use that slogan, but he said it this way, you will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. And I quote that a lot because to think that you're not going to have adversity in this world, do you think you're not going to go through hard times and opposition is to misunderstand Christianity. And instead of, uh, instead of despising the adversity and despising the opposition in your life, here's what you need to do. Embrace it and realize God is probably setting you up for great things. So let me tell you the beginning of the story. I've obviously set you up already with this. Kathy and I uh, came to uh, Christ in our 20s. We, we came to Christ, got married shortly thereafter, and we immediately started going to a church. Uh, neither of us were, we came from mainline churches, and we went off to this really wacky, charismatic church. We didn't know it was wacky. We didn't know any better. Within six months after coming to Christ, we were leading small groups. And I was teaching other people how to be a mature Christian. Yeah, you already figured out where that was going. I had no idea what I was talking about. I can only describe what I taught as accurately as I could say it is this way. It was heresy. I was just making it up as I went along. And so Kathy and I did that for a year and a half, teaching these small groups. We got a little better at it. But then after about another year and a half, I realized that God was calling me to the ministry. And if I was going to do this ministry thing, probably be a good idea to get some training. And so I went to Bible school, and I went to a Bible school run by a man named Pastor Wally Wildman. Anybody in the room know who Wally Wildman is? I'll tell you, here, you know, there's a big connection for our city. Wally's in his 70s. He's still pastoring today in, in Oregon in the U.S. But he was the guy who founded Springs Church. That was Wally's church. Who, who, he, that's the one who planted that. Anyway, he ran a Bible school. I joined his Bible school, and I was learning stuff about Jesus. It was pretty swell, and the Bible. And after six months, he hires me as his associate pastor. 
Are you kidding me? The man lacks good judgment. But anyway, that's what he did. And for two years, I was his associate pastor working alongside. And he was, he was a great mentor and a great friend and a, one and a wonderful man. But after about two years, he sent me out. He sent Kathy and I out. There was a struggling church that we had been working with. They were called Abundant Strife, I mean, Abundant Life. <laughs> and uh, they were down to 12 people. And, uh, and they wanted us to come and be their pastors. So Kathy and I went to this church. And uh, it was a charismatic Mennonite church. And, and, and let, me, let me say something right at the outside here. These people were good people. They, there was nothing wrong with these people. They were well-intentioned. They were good people. They were just trying to do what was right and what, what they were used to. And, and I'm a good people. I think I am. And, uh, and we just had this clash of cultures, and we just sort of were having trouble with this. And so you can well imagine that if I'm leading the church, the church is going to look different. And after a year, the church had really transformed. And 10 of the 12 people that were the original members of the church left, 10 of the 12. And then they thought to themselves, why are we leaving? He should leave. And so they called an emergency board meeting. And it was on a Saturday morning, and uh, we had just had a baby. We, and Kathy couldn't come with me. The baby was only a week old, our son. And so I went to the meeting that Saturday, what a dummy, by myself. And these 10 people ganged up on me for two hours. And they ripped me a good one for two hours and just eviscerated me, just trashed me. And then after two hours, I'm feeling just smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And again, they're not bad people. Don't misunderstand me on this story. It was just one of those clashes, right? And so then, so then finally I said, well, what, what, what exactly do you want? And they said, we want our church back. And I said, what, what, what is the church? And they said, the church is the name and it is the bank account. So that's what they asked for. Now, so I thought, if that's the church, you can have it. And I went and got it. The whole church was in a box. We owned nothing. We had no assets. We had nothing. We owned nothing. We didn't have a building. We didn't have anything. And so I went and got them the shoebox. The whole church was in, in a shoebox. It was church in a box. And it had the, you know, it, it had the, uh, you know, the incorporation papers and it had the checkbook and whatever. So I brought it to them and gave it to them. And, and that was the end of it. Well, not exactly, because they phoned every single person in the church and told them what had happened and told them I was a thief and a crook and a scoundrel and a bunch of other stuff. So the next day where we were meeting, just a, a bunch of people showed up, but about half. And so by that, because that time we were about 70 people. And so I explained them, to them what I did. And so I already had that bunch mad at me. Now this bunch was mad at me for giving away their money because it was their money. We had $9,000 in the bank account, so they were all mad at me. So then I knew on that moment that the church was actually done. And so it was folded. We were done. And I said, look, if anybody wants to come, we're going to have a meeting on my deck tomorrow night. And uh, so that's what we did on Monday night. Uh, about 24, 25 people showed up. We sat on my deck and we said, what are we going to do? Because it could have ended right there. My, my life and career in ministry, I could be selling cars right now. That's how I felt. I had never felt so diminished in my whole life. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And so we sat there and we said, what do you want to do? And people said, well, let's keep on going. Let's start a church and let's plant a church. And, and so I said, okay. There's this passage. You all know it. Matthew 16. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the kind of church I want, one that the gates of hell won't prevail against. So we called it Church of the Rock is what we did. And here's what our vision was 35 years ago. I want you to listen carefully and you tell me whether you think 
this is, we've accomplished this or not. The first thing was we decided this. This church was going to be fully biblical. We were never going to compromise the word of God no matter how unpopular the truth may become. First thing. Second thing, we decided that we were going to be a church led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And always make room for the Holy Spirit. We decided we were going to be fully evangelistic and we were going to try to win people to Christ. We decided that we were going to be genuinely relational where we had relationships one with another and we were transparent and we were vulnerable and we didn't put on airs and we didn't try to be something that we weren't. And we decided that we were going to be a church that celebrated the resurrection more, more than we mourned the death of Christ. And so that's why we have this celebratory nature. And then we also decided that we were going to be a creative and innovative church and we were going to do things that no other church had ever done before. How are we doing, by the way, on those things? So that's how the church began with about 25 people. And to tell you the truth, the only reason they were there, because it, it was an inauspicious start. There's no other way to put it. And the only reason they were there was they were mostly my friends and my family, and most of them just felt sorry for me. <laughs> it wasn't that the vision was that compelling at the moment. What we did was we took a licking, but we kept on ticking. So that's a good life lesson for you. The first lesson is take a licking, but keep on ticking. The second one is this. If you obey, God will make a way. And I talk a lot about faith and obedience and how important that is. And so let me tell you the story about how we obeyed when it seemed absolutely ridiculous, a huge leap of faith. So as I said, we didn't have a building, and there was this uh, church building that had closed its doors. They had packed it in. It was a covenant church, and it was on the corner of Grant and Nathaniel. Uh, 1219 Grant Avenue, right across from uh, Grant Park Mall. It has a zigzag roof like this, and it's a royal bank today. How many can visualize that, that building? And so that building was sitting empty, and I knew the developer, and I phoned him up. And I said, I see you've got that church building sitting there empty. And I made a deal with them to move in. He said they weren't actually doing anything for it for six months. And he actually rented us the building for six months for $500 a month. Even then, it, it was a good deal. So we moved into this, this full-blown, fully equipped uh, uh, building. And I want to show you the picture of it. Uh, there, there, were, there we were at our first Christmas there. You can see I have that. There's our building. We got a stage. We got lighting. We got this sanctuary. We had a, a children's ministry area. We had an office, one office. And I was in my requisite double-breasted suit. No self-respecting preacher in those days should wear anything other than a double-breasted suit. I still love those suits. Look at Kathy. She looks 12. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing about me I haven't changed at all. It's crazy. I see these pictures of me from the past, and I think, do I not age? This is, this is nuts, man. And so anyway, we had moved into this place, and we were there for six months. And after six months, they were going to kick us out. And what ended up happening, it's, I shouldn't laugh, was the architect had a heart attack and ended up in the hospital, and they couldn't proceed with their project, so they told us that. And they said, we'll tell you what, we'll give you an extension. We don't want any money from you. But until our architect rec recovers, you can just continue to meet in, in the room. You know, we met in that building for another year rent-free. Rent-free. And then, and so I mean, we, had a, we had just the favor of God on us. And so then what happened was after a year, they said, okay, you really need to leave. We're starting construction in two weeks. You need to leave. And, that's, and we had nowhere to go. And so I looked for, for the, the two weeks, you know, we had two weeks notice. I looked for a whole week. I couldn't find anywhere else to go. So we now had one week left. I stood up on a Sunday morning. Everybody's there. I told them we were leaving. And I preached 
out of the book of Exodus where the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and they were bet caught between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. They had nowhere to go. Moses was falling down on his face and he's upset and God says, get up off your feet and tell the people to go forward. Do you remember that? Tell the people to go forward. That seems like terrible advice since there's a, a, a whole sea in the way. Tell the people to go forward. So I told this congregation, we had nowhere to go, I said, God says to me, tell the people to go forward. So next week we're moving. So then after the service, people said, Pastor, you never said where we're moving. <laughs> we had nowhere to go. We had literally, we had a week to go, we had nowhere to go. And what the owner of the building had told me, he said, you know, if you want to take anything in the building, you can have it because we're gutting the place. So I said, next week when we show up, bring your grubbies. After service, we're going to change into our grubbies. If you have a trailer, bring it. If you have a truck, bring it. And we're going to gut this place. So the next week we had our service. I preached on Joshua leading the people into the promised land. By then we had found a place on Pemina Highway in a strip mall. It was completely empty. It was the Arizona Fitness Center. Again, it was a temporary lease. But we gutted that building. We gutted it. We took these huge rosewood doors. And we took the entire nursery, which was all glass. We took the whole thing. We took the bathroom stalls. And we hauled it all over to our new facility. Then that week... A bunch of the guys and I, we got together and we put it back together like a Lego set. And we put up our nursery and we put up, we didn't get a permit. You didn't have to do stuff like that in those days. No one was ever going to catch us or find us. We just we set up shop in the Arizona Fitness Center. And then we started to bump around from there. And uh, we got, got bumped and moved around. We had to change our slogan for the church. It now became, if you can find us, you can join us. <laughs> But the point was this, if you, if you obey, God will make a way. And we just stepped out in faith and God opened it up and he did it to us again and again and again and again. So back to our lessons, here they are. Number one, take a lick and keep on ticking. Number two, if you obey, God will make a way. Number three, give the call and invite them all. So I'm fast forwarding a little bit. In 1991, we moved into the Trinity Television Building, which was located at 1111 Chevrier. How many of you remember that building over there? Some of you do. Willard and Betty Teason had a TV show. It was called It's a New Day. They were on television for 25 years in uh, broadcasting across Canada out of Winnipeg. They had bought this fantastic building and invited us to come and have our church in that building. So we moved out of the strip mall and, and we joined in that place in 1991. And uh, in 1994, Pastor Keith uh, Everhard and his family came to join us, and that was a, a, a big moment in us. And the church had grown, but by about that point, about 1995, we were about 200 people and plateaued. It's the only time in our history we had plateaued. And 200 people is the ceiling a lot of churches hit. And then something happened, and I'll tell you what it was. Uh, we went, uh, a bunch of us, 11 pastors, went down to Pensacola, Florida. And there was a revival going on there called the Brownsville Outpouring. It was a, it was a uh, Pentecostal church that uh, God started to move on Father's Day in 1995. And he was doing an amazing thing. And people were coming to Christ by the, not the hundreds, but by the thousands and thousands of people. And so we wanted to go down there, see what was going on, and see how God was doing this. And uh, we showed up, I'll show you a picture of it. You had to stand outside in a huge line for four, six, or eight hours to get to church every single night. They had lineups like that. So we went and stood in that line out, out in, the, in the Florida sun, and we finally got into it. We didn't know what to expect. The place was absolutely packed. They had to turn people away. 
I mean, what, what churches do you know that are turning people away and have people lining up for six or eight hours every single night of the week? And then there was an evangelist that they had brought on. His name was, was Steve Hill. Here's a picture of Steve Hill. But he, was, he would preach. And he was kind of a hellfire and brimstone guy. Think of Southern Pentecostal stuff. And we're there the first night. We don't know what's going on. He asked this question. He says, if you have something in your life that's not right, I want you to stand up. Well, what would you do? You should all be standing up if I asked that question. Anyway, I'm just silly enough. I stood up. I didn't really know what was going on, so I stood up. I looked around. The other pastors aren't standing up, but I'm standing up. I think, how can I think that I possibly don't have something that's not right in my life? So then he invited us all to go forward, so we all went to go forward. And the next thing I know, I'm saying the sinner's prayer. And I realize I'm in the altar call. And, and, and the salvation call. And an altar worker comes and gives me this card to fill out, a decision card to come to Christ. And I said, you don't understand. I'm a pastor. She went, praise God he saved another pastor. <laughs> so the next day we took the pastor out for lunch. His name was John Kilpatrick. And he was the pastor of this saying. And he wanted to meet these 11 pastors from Canada. So we took him out for lunch. We were sitting in the restaurant. And he starts talking about what's happened over the last six or eight months, whatever it was. He says, we've had 20,000 people come to Christ in six months and 25 pastors have got saved. To which I said, make that 26, I got saved last night. <laughs> he goes, praise God. <laughs> Didn't miss a beat, eh? I thought, these guys are nuts. <laughs> and so anyway, we went there night after night. God was moving. It was clear that something really special was happening in that place. Notwithstanding that southern theology, which I wouldn't really buy into, you couldn't deny the fact that something was happening. And people were coming from all over the world and people coming to Christ, uh, but literally by the thousands. And I remember on the fourth night, I was sitting there, and we were listening to all this thing, and I felt God spoke to me. I've only felt him speak to me kind of audibly only a few times in my life. And I felt like the Lord said, you can do this. And I thought, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and, 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 and I knew what he meant. He didn't mean, mean do it like they do. What he meant was, you could do this. You could do the work of an evangelist. You could do this. And I knew what I had to do. And I came back the next week and I stood up and we, I preached to those 200 people. And when I was done, for the first time, really for the very first time on a Sunday morning, I took a proper invitation for people to come to Christ. And you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. And I did it again the next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. And I had decided, I had determined in my heart that I was going to give an invitation every time I preached. I had leaders coming to me and saying, Pastor Mark, it's embarrassing. What are you doing up there? Nobody's coming to Christ. I said, God spoke to me. I'm not stopping doing this. And so you're just going to have to bear with me. And I kept on going month after month, week after week. And then one day, one day, and I didn't ask her to do this. I just asked her to put up her, her hand. She was all dressed in black leather from the top, top to bottom. She put up her hand and on her own, she walked to the front. And she knelt down. And she gave her heart to Christ. People couldn't believe it. Finally, it was paying off. And she had one seriously messed up life, let me tell you. But she was the first convert we ever made on a Sunday morning. She came to Christ, and she grew up, and she discipled, and she became one of the leaders in the church. And uh, her life was completely transformed and changed by the power of God. And you know what? That one convert to me makes it all worthwhile. 
and what happened after a few weeks, another person came, and, a few, and, then, and then it started to be more frequent. But we have had people come to Christ every single week for 26 years. I was just trying to estimate the number, but it's probably in the range of five or 6,000 people have come to Christ in the, in, the, in the history of that time. And I'll tell you people, nothing is more worthwhile than that. Don't ever get sick of the invitation. Somebody's eternity, eternity is on the line, right? All right, so throw them up again. Lesson number one, take a lick and keep on ticking. Number two, if you obey, God will make a way. Number three, give the call and invite them all. Number four, your future space may be right in front of your face. So when we were meeting in the Trinity Television building, we were just doing church and we were doing the altar call now and things were, were kind of happening. Uh, but then uh, what happened is God gave me a dream one night and it was a picture of streetlights and it was red, green, and yellow and then, the, and then it gave a yellow light and then somehow or another, you know how dreams were, I knew that this had something to do with TV ministry. And we know that, 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 that green is go, uh, red is stop, yellow means go very, very fast. <laughs> That's what most of you do. No, yellow means proceed with caution, right? And uh, at least a blinking yellow. And so I thought the word was for someone else, and that's another story, and I've told it before, so I won't tell it again. And eventually, I'm trying to give this word away, this dream away, and God speaks to me once again, and this is what he said to me this time. He said, it's for you, dummy. Sometimes he calls me dummy, and for good reason. He probably should call you that, too. And, uh, and so he said, it's for you, dummy. And I think, what do you mean it's for me, dummy? And, and then I realized something, that my future was right in front of my face. And, and we met in this room that was a television studio, and we had television lights over, over the stage. There was cameras in the next room on big, long cords. We had Ernie Nathaniel, who's the producer of our show today. He was sitting in the pew doing nothing. And so, so we went to Trinity Television and asked, can we, can we rent the gear? They said yes. We, I asked Ernie. He said yes. He said he'd recruit camera people. And then we went to a little television station in Portage La Prairie called MTN. It's City TV today. That's where it began. And I was a friend of the guy who owned that station. I went and visited him and told him what the vision for it was. And to my surprise, he said yes. And so we, we started uh, just like that. We started doing that one station, and then we added Brandon, and then we added uh, Kenora, and then we added Calgary, and we just added station after station, city after city, secular stations across Canada. And within probably eight or nine years, we were in every major city across Canada. And to this day, Church of the Rock is the number one re watched religious program in all of Canada. Did you know that? We have, we have, two we have 200,000 people that watch the show from coast to coast. And so the, the point is, the lesson in this is that your future space might be right in front of your face. So let's just quickly look at them again. Number, lesson number five is if you decide, sorry, lesson four is your future space may be right in front of your face. Uh, lesson five, if you decide, God will provide. And so when we started this television ministry thing, people were pretty nervous about it. You know what they were nervous about? Paying for it. 
Uh, do you have any idea how expensive television ministry is? It's actually hundreds of thousands of dollars. It wasn't that much in the beginning, but it was a lot of money, and we couldn't afford it. And so here's what we did. We made a commitment to our congregation that we wouldn't ask them for money, and then we made this decision that we would never ask money from the viewers online. That was a big deal because in the, in the 90s, there was all these television ministries and they spent all their time asking their viewers for money so that they could stay on air and ask them for more money. <laughs> that was a bit cynical, wasn't it? So we made this decision. I, 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 told, I told the congregation, I said, uh, that the Lord will provide and if he doesn't provide at any point, we can't pay our bills. We're never, we're never going to do anything on credit and we're never going to ask for money for the viewers and if it doesn't work, we'll just pull the plug. Well, that was 26 years ago, and we have never once asked for money on air to support the TV ministry. Never once. We invite them to participate in the, in the missions pie auction, but that's the only thing we ever ask them. People write me letters, and they can't believe that we don't ask for money. And you know what? It's an amazing thing, because it costs $400,000 in airtime every year to do this, and yet God has provided, because if you decide... God will provide. You know how many televangelists it takes to change a light bulb, don't you? Well, it only takes one. But if you want this eternal light to keep burning, send in your donation today. Right? <laughs> so let's like look at it quick again. The last one I just talked about was number five. If you decide, God will provide. Uh, number six, growth comes when you live to give. One of the things we really taught in this church, and you know this, is that you have to be a giver, and to be a generous person is how God grows your own life. And the more you give away, the more it comes back. It's called sowing and reaping, right? And it's a principle all the way through the scripture. And churches teach it to their people, but a funny thing is they don't all practice it themselves as, as, as churches. And so we decided from the get-go, from day one, that we were going to practice what we preached as a church, and we were going to give away funds. So we had just begun... We were only about six months into the journey. We had about $1,500 in the bank. There was a church that we were quite close to, and they went into a building project. They were moving from a rented facility like we were to building their own facility. They were short of money. And I talked to the directors. I said, what do you say we empty our bank account and give them the whole amount? And, uh, and so that's what we did. $1,500 doesn't sound like a lot of money today to you. I know that. It was all the money we had. It, was our, it, was, it meant I might not get paid that next week. You, you get this. And we, give, we gave away $1,500. And you know what? We felt so good about that because what happened was people just became more generous when we did stuff like that. And then we started giving $1,500 to every church that asked us that they were in a building project. And then we started giving $5,000 away. And then we started giving $25,000 away. And then we gave away $35,000 to a church plant one day. We found that as we gave, God just kept on bringing it back. And you, under, you get that principle, right? It's sowing and reaping. He says, whatever you sow, that you will also reap. And we thought, we can't give out, out give God. We keep trying and trying, and it just keeps on coming back. We just surpassed. Are you ready for this? You're not going to believe it. In missions giving over our 35-year history, we have now given over $20 million to missions. I am so proud of that. I know you're not supposed to be proud. Am I allowed to be proud about that? I think you can be proud when you're giving to somebody else and doing something else. Just to finish this off, uh, so our second last point here, if you can just throw those points up, was growth comes when you live to give. We've been doing that for, for 35 years. And the last and final thing is this. 
If you think enormous, God will do ginormous. Did you notice how all these words all rhyme just like blast from the past? I'm a good rhymer. And if you think enormous, God will do ginormous. He says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can think or ask. God will do beyond what you think. God will do beyond what you ask. Whatever you think, however big your plans are, you need to know God will always do more. If God is your partner, make big plans. I never imagined for a minute we'd be in a four-acre, 186,000-square-foot building. I never imagined for a minute that we'd be on television from coast to coast. I never imagined for a moment that we'd have an online ministry. There was no online in those days. I never thought for a minute we'd be a multi-site church with campuses all around our city and outside of the city. I never thought for a minute that we would be spending or giving $20 million to missions. I never thought for a minute God could bring as many people to Christ and raise up as many leaders and transform as many lives and, and, and marriages and families and disciple as many people. I'm just sort of in his way, so are you, but I also know I give the glory to God but I remember this simple fact that every one of you has been part of the journey and so I want to say thank you for your faithfulness thank you for being there as this scripture says thus far the Lord has helped us and here's my last thought people he ain't done with us our greatest days are yet to come we've only just begun let's stand together If you'd like a booklet to help you understand more about God's gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ, please contact us and we'd be happy to send you a free copy of the Book of Hope. Visit our website at www.churchoftherock.ca. Thank you for watching and God bless you.